Happy New Year and welcome back to another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment featuring interviews with guests who are having success in entertainment, primarily music. I am Bruce Wozniak talking to guests who are singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists and more from the worldwide music community. Do please stay connected. You can write to podcast at nhte.net or instead of email, you are welcome to DM me through the at Now Hear This Entertainment Instagram account. Anything and everything to do with this podcast or the entertainment industry itself, I look forward to hearing from you. Do make sure that you are receiving the weekly e-newsletter I only send to you once a week on my podcast website, nhte.net. Pop your email address into the sign-up box and join the others from not only the U.S., but other countries who are getting information about the latest podcast and some exclusives in their inbox every Wednesday. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Clearwater, Florida, my guest is a multi-instrumentalist whose punk-slash-alternative band, Area 52, has been recording an EP that will be released very soon. They performed at a number of venues around the Tampa Bay area last summer and fall after having taken the stage in Orlando last May at PodFest Multimedia Expo. He is also the founder of Daw Junkie, a music production training website that has a companion YouTube channel. He is also a longtime podcaster, having first started with the EDM Producer Podcast and being largely credited for starting the podcast boom in Tampa Bay. He was a guest on this show way, way back in the first year of Now Hear This Entertainment on episode 31. You've been hearing a song by his band, Area 52, called Rock Shirts, Short Skirts. Welcome back, Steve Cherubino. I am happy to be back, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, long, long, long overdue. Congratulations, though. A lot has happened since you were first on way back in 2014. Let's start first, though, by having you talk about your band's song that was just playing called Rock Shirts, Short Skirts. Yeah, well, Rock Shirts, Short Skirts is a song we wrote. Um, right now, we're a duo band. We, we had a drummer, but um, it didn't quite work out. So it, it, me and uh, the bass player, Katie, uh, she was just getting over being sick with COVID, finally tested negative. We're like, let's go out somewhere and just chill. Ended up going to a pizza shop, sitting down, becoming inspired by I don't remember what, writing a song. <laughs> right there as we were eating mm. and it, it was rock shirts short skirts and basically about a girl who likes to listen to great music have fun and is just inspired by music and inspires people around her not in she's not into drugs not into like you know drinking heavily being crazy just she's all about the music and it's that's the, the vision we got for the song so we wrote a, wrote the song when the two of you sat there and came up with that song idea and you said you, for all intents and purposes, wrote it on the spot, did you find that the two of you were collaborating on lyrics and melody or was it, ah, she was stronger on the lyrics, I was strong on the melody or vice versa? What did that look like? Well, it's interesting. It seems to be how we end up actually writing songs. The pattern seems to be she kind of um, train of thought lyrics to spits lyrics out or, or sentences and thoughts out. Hmm. We write them down and then it 
then we look at how we could kind of rhyme it into a song um, and make it fit whatever music we have not come up with yet. <laughs> so I guess to answer your question, lyrics usually pop out first. Uh, then we, uh, you know, come back, write music, and then fit the, the lyrics we made to the music. You know, I have found, and maybe it's a sign of getting old, but when I have, say, clients who are quote-unquote dictating to me over the phone, and it's usually, like you're saying, stream of conscious, where they're just spitting out, let's say something to the extent of, and they'll just blurt out sentence after sentence after sentence. I can't type fast enough. I think I'm a good typist until I go through an experience like that. So when you say she's blurting out these lyrics and you're writing them down, is it literally pen to paper or are you trying to type these into a laptop or how? Because I know what happens is somebody says something really, really good and you type and you type and you type and you go, okay, go back. What did you say after X, Y, Z? And they go, oh, I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which is horrible when you're trying to write a song. I know, man. We should just like hit record on a phone, like a, a voice recorder and just let it rip. But we don't think of that. So uh, it's usually pen to paper. Wow. And I, I am a computer dude. Like I, you know, when somebody says, do you have a pencil? I go, what's that? <laughs> so uh, she br- she brought it and she handed it to me and I started writing stuff down. And uh, yeah, so it's it's actually like legit pen to paper, which is cool. You know, you know why? Because we have this nostalgic like um, pile of papers now that, you know, it's not stored on a hard drive somewhere. It's an actual stack of papers that is like the history of the band now being chronicled in real life. Yeah. So it's it's fun to have that actually, like these old scribbles on pencil or on napkins and papers and stuff. Yeah, I remember one time being in Nashville and going to the headquarters for NSAI, which is Nashville Songwriters Association International. And like you said, there would be a frame on the wall with handwritten lyrics and you'd go, oh my gosh, I know that song. Look, that's how and when they originally wrote it. It was a the movie that's really popular right now, I'm not thinking of the name of it. I just watched it the other night on Netflix. It starts with uh, Edward Norton. There's a bunch of people in it, but same case. There was somebody who had gotten a, a idea in that movie, and they wrote it down on a cocktail napkin, and it really did center a large part around this cocktail napkin and still having this and who wrote it originally. And so it's a great point that you make that, you know, nowadays everything is into a voice recorder or into a laptop and kind of hard to get excited about the emotion of this is the laptop that I wrote that song on. Oh boy. Wow. I know there is still something to be said about real life things, the material universe, (laughs) (laughs) even though I'd hate to admit it because if if she didn't bring paper, I would be typing something into a computer, but it's always good to have in the end. So much to ask you about today. For starters, I mentioned in the intro that area 52 has been recording an EP that will be released very soon. Will Rock Shirts, Short Skirts be on that EP? How many songs will be on the EP? When will it be released? What details are you at liberty to share today? Yeah, we're looking at about five songs, probably. And um, I'm assuming within a month we will have it released. And uh, Rock Shirts will be on there. The the other song I sent you, which is actually called The Big Shame. I I don't think I sent you the full title. I'm sorry. But (laughs) Shame. We call it Shame for short. Um. And uh, a song that most of the people who hear our stuff like the best, it's called Bad. That's definitely going to be on there and then maybe two others that uh, we're we're working on right now. That brings up an interesting point, though, that you do have the advantage 
of being able to play these songs out live before you record them and see how are people responding to them? Are they liking our music in general, but also is there one song that's doing great? Is there one song that we're doing and we're not getting much reaction? What Do we need to do something different to that song? Do we need to scrap it? Have you found that to be the case yet as you've tested some of these songs out? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually, I don't like it. I hate that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I hate that I have a song that I really like and it doesn't get as good of a reaction as a song that I'm, I still like, but it's not my favorite, but that's the thing. I mean, music, if you're, if you're starting a band to play out, your, your purpose is to service others, service the ears of others, mm. not just yourself. Like if I sat in my room all day and played the songs, I could, I could like whatever I want the best, but it's actually, when you're playing out, you're actually delivering a service of music. So you're basically doing a survey as you play all your songs and you're seeing which one gets the biggest reaction or the biggest result. So it's like doing a survey in real time when you're playing your set. Wow. And it's smart to take note of what people react to the best and um, keep going in that direction if you want to if you want more people to listen to you. <laughs> I really admire that attitude because I think, Steve, that so many songwriters get so obviously personally and emotionally attached to their songs, a lot of guests on this show will refer to them as their babies, that I think they kind of take it personally and say, well, you know what? It's subjective. I like it. I, everybody's not going to, you can't please all the people all the time and too bad. And, and they just hold that song too close to the vest and say, I'm not going to change it. And you're saying, well, <laughs> if you want more fans, if you want more success, you better change it. Yeah. And I've tried it both ways because I've been stubborn. And I said, you know what? I'm going to play this song because I like it. And maybe if one person in the audience likes it, then that'll be enough for me. Mm. And then I play it and get a, a poor reaction. And I go, you know what? It's just not as fun when people don't like what you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it, it does pay to please the people, I think, when you're playing out. But I've been on, the, on both sides of it. Yeah, I'm picturing as you're describing that, like a band <laughs> of like four members. And after the show, they're all talking about that one song. And the one stubborn person is going, but didn't you see the guy with the green shirt like stage right? He was kind of nodding his head. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Folks, last week I let you all in on a secret that throughout January I would be doing a giveaway. So here are the details of that. And actually, it's fitting that someone like Steve Cherubino is the guest as I get this off the ground because I know that he has been around music and podcasting and gear and talking on his podcasts with people that value pro-quality sound for their recording projects. As all of you out there who are doing music at any level get started into this new year, Make a commitment. I'm not going to say a resolution. Make a commitment to delivering the best audio to your audience by using gear from Focusrite. You have heard me not only talk about them before and mention that I use their gear, but you hear guests on this show advocating for them also. Heck, the Scarlet is the world's best-selling USB audio interface with 5.5 million musicians and creators having chosen that for their recording projects. Throughout January, you can win a Scarlett 2i2 third-gen audio interface, and I have set up a number of ways for you to enter. Look for the link to the entry form in the description of this episode, regardless of the platform that you're listening through, or... Look for a pinned post on Facebook or a pinned tweet on Twitter, both of which will contain the link to the entry form. And, of course, the links to Facebook and Twitter are on my podcast website, nhte.net. 
Plus, each Wednesday in January, I will have a link to the entry form in the weekly e-newsletter. So make sure you're receiving that. Heck, for that matter, write to me via podcast at nhte.net, and I will personally email you the link to the entry form. Enter by January 31st for your chance to win a Focusrite Scarlet 2i2 third gen audio interface. I want one. <laughs> I no, I'm actually seriously, I am a fan. That's that's I I'm a junkie for interfaces like that. I buy them all cuz I'm curious to to hear all they sound, but mm. I don't buy them all. I have a ton of them though. <laughs> and uh, cuz I will see one and I'll be like, I wonder how that sounds compared to this one and compared to this one. But I'm, I'll tell you, and I didn't know you were actually going to be talking about Focusrite. Um, they're my favorite, and that's what I use for my professional stuff. That's what we use to record rock shirts. Ah. And uh, they, uh, you can't go wrong yeah. with them. I talk about them in my courses even. They're great. Yeah, you can hear the difference when you're using. It's almost kind of you don't know what you don't know. When you have a bad audio interface and you listen back to whatever your recording project is and you go, something just doesn't sound that good. That's probably what it is. And then when you have a great one, you go, boy, this is, this sounds great. It's yeah. Because of your audio interface. <laughs> it's true. And they do have all different, they do have their own characters. And Focusrite is very warm. I like it. You were talking about the EP that Area 52 will be putting out. Yeah. Let's back up, though, and have you talk about how the band came about in the first place. Yeah. I had a friend who was a drummer, and uh, he wanted to start a punk band. So he asked me if I would play guitar in this punk band. And I haven't played guitar in like 15 years because mm. like you mentioned in the beginning of the show, I was into electronic music with the, the whole EDM. If anybody doesn't know what that means, that's electronic dance music. The whole EDM podcast I was doing. And so I dropped my guitar for since I was a kid, I haven't played it really. Mm. And then I said, well, mate, this might be fun. Let me uh, let me jam with this drummer and see what happens. And I'll tell you, dude, as soon as uh, we got together and practiced one or two times, I'm like, man, I miss this. Wow. This this is different than creating EDM on my laptop. This is really fun stuff. Mm. So uh, we got into playing, got heavy, hot and heavy into it, playing, make, make, write, uh, he wrote most of the songs. I learned most of the songs that he wrote. And then we needed a bass player. So we we're like, we need a bass player, need a bass player. And we tried a couple people. And he's like, he's like, I have this friend, this girl, um, she said she wants to play bass for us. I'm like, great. And he's like, yeah, she's never played bass before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, does she play guitar? He's like, no. Mm. I'm like, he's like, I think she played drums uh, when she was younger. I go, all right. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, if this person's committed, I'm thinking to myself, there's a slim chance that, you know, I'd be cool with like having her in the band. And I, I thought to myself, and I'm not going to teach her how to play the bass. Mm. But we met with her. And she's like, yeah, I want to play the bass. And I said, great. I go, I'm not going to teach you how to play the bass. She's like, okay. And uh, I just, I, so I, I said in my mind, all right, let's get her a bass first of all. So we actually went out like the next night, bought a bass on Facebook Marketplace. Wow. And then I, I said, if she just practices like every day and gets better every day, I have no leg to stand on to not go along with it. Mm -hmm. I just, I just wanted to see like improvement every day. Um, not that I'm like the king of the band. I just, you know, that was my just my patience and tolerance level. And man, she just kept playing and got better every day. And she, man, she learned so fast that we sounded really good within like two months. Mm. And, um, you know, that was great. Um, just number one, just to watch that happen in real time. 
And it was inspiring for, for anybody who wants to learn how to play an instrument. Like I've, I saw it happen in front of my eyes. You can pick up an instrument you never played before. And if you just practice every day and do the work, you can get good really fast. Okay, let me jump in with two questions here because number one is I think we all want to know where did the name of the band come from, oh, okay. which is really cool. But I'm, I'm curious to hear the story about this. Yes. Yeah. Sorry for going. That's off. okay. I'm I'm even going to save you and not ask my second question until you answer this one because the second question's long. <laughs> well, um, she came up with it. She came up with it. Uh, we started a little list of band names, and I I put like one in there, and every day <laughs> she would come up with. We should call it this. We should call it this. We how about this? How about this? And she she was the brainchild of all the band names, and I kept saying I was saying oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's great, but none of them really hit me. And then uh, she said, how about Area 52? I was, I thought about it. I, I think this is the story. Uh, she's like, I was in my car, and they were talking about Area 51 and on the radio or whatever. And I said, well, what about Area 52? And it's, it's pretty much as simple mm. as that. Wow, wow. So the other question, and there's a good teaching moment here, actually for aspiring performers who are listening, but also for just the average music fan to understand some of the pain points that go into putting a band together. Because... You mentioned about this drummer friend of yours who got this started. And so I'm about to ask you what happened to him because I didn't know that that's how the band got started. I do know that for some time now you've been looking for a drummer. And other than are you good and do you live in the Clearwater slash Tampa Bay area? I'm wondering what criteria have you been looking for? What methods have you been using to try to get the word out that Area 52 is looking for a drummer? Any resources that you found to be pretty good or pretty bad? Walk us through this whole thing of, of him being gone and, and looking for someone to replace him. Yeah. Well, number one, you know, things, it, it just didn't work out. And, so, you know, that's another thing we're learning in the band is things evolve as you create something like a band. And it doesn't always end up the way you envisioned it in the beginning, but you just got to keep rolling with it and trying to get what you want. So it just, it didn't quite work out with the drummer. So we started looking for another drummer and uh, a couple things we tried that got us some, uh, some progress was basically just posting it on Facebook. There's a group called Tampa Bay musicians. There's a group called Tampa Bay punk and hardcore. And so we posted on gr in groups like that, that we're looking for a drummer, mm -hmm. um, put like a picture of kind of what our ideal avatar of a drummer would be, mm. you know, and, and just put in the description, the traits we're looking for, like high energy, good communication, um, gets along well with others, um, likes to have fun. Like th those were the traits we were looking for. Um, somebody that we could really get along with and we could all, you know, go out and do band things together. Maybe not necessarily music, but just that we could be friends with mm. because this is again, like a, bandmates are like business partners or, or you could stretch it to the more extreme to like, it's like a marriage too. Yeah. You ha there's compromises, there's agreements, you have to get along as a group. So we were just looking for somebody who fit. Yeah. That's pretty much it. So those were, that was the most successful action posting on Facebook, uh, just Facebook groups. Was there anything that you tried that you thought, Oh gosh, no, we're not doing it this way anymore. We'll find ourselves a drummer, but it's not going to be through this method. No, no method really bombed, but some of the people that came through didn't fit. And that sucks because you meet a lot of nice people, but some of them don't fit. And some even aren't so nice and they don't fit. But I just you just want to bypass all that, get that all out of the way and just find your perfect 
person, but I think you have to go through a couple of, uh, or maybe more of people that don't fit before you find the right fit, but yet you just got to keep going. <laughs> Is this a case of thanks to the pandemic, we're also abundantly aware of video conferencing that you're quote unquote interviewing people over say zoom or skype or is it no we're meeting them in person or we're asking them to email us samples or is it we're literally bringing them in for an audition meeting in person but of course on messenger we would i would ask like can you send me some of your stuff and usually people have videos of them playing or something that they've done so i i you could get a really good idea even from like a one minute clip if somebody's gonna be good or not, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. You just get that feeling. Okay. And uh, Conversely, what are some of the successful actions that you've achieved in starting and promoting the band? Obviously, you've done well in a short amount of time, given you're having played a number of shows last year. Yeah, and we, we just start. We were only about a year old. Um, I was actually surprised how easy it was to make things go quick and get gigs. And it basically had to do a lot in the beginning with those, you know, those Facebook groups I was talking about, Tampa Bay musicians, Tampa Bay punk, these kind of things. I would just look at it every day and every once in a while there would be a post. Oh, blah, blah, band can't make this gig tonight. Can anybody sit, sit in for them? Mm. And I would, I would just go, bam, yes, we could do it. And they'd be like, can we hear your stuff? And then it's, that's why it's important to have at least something recorded that you could send somebody that you're semi proud of so that they could hear how you sound and then he could get in there. So we had like those, the songs I sent you, they were recorded. So I, I sent them to uh, this club and they said, great, come on down. So like in three hours notice, we got a gig there Mm. and then Tampa Bay, you know, you seem to get around. Um, We had people reaching out to us after we played like three or four gigs. Um, They would either see my posts or they would, um, maybe talk to an owner or something like that. But I, I was basically, uh, I would just be on these groups every day looking for opportunities, finding out what clubs, um, were the ones that played the kind of music we did. And I would reach out to them too, just out of the blue, send a Facebook message. And you just have to kind of start networking that way and finding out who, uh, who books things and talk to, try to talk to them. I'm interested in the contacting clubs via Facebook Messenger. How has that been for you? Does it seem like most of them are just bots that are answering you or sometimes it's a live person, but they don't get back to you in a week? Or is it, Bruce, where have you been? This is what they're all doing nowadays. No, it's it's been kind of randomly different. It just depends. Um, but most, I, I have got very little bots. I mean, club owners aren't, aren't big enough, I think, to have like um, so much automation for their business. Yeah. There's still that human touch there because it's not like a chain or a franchise. It's like a club. Uh, so I was able to reach people a lot when I sent out a message. I, I don't think I did get one bot, to be honest. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I said in the intro that Area 52 does punk slash alternative music that bizarre mental Rolodex of guests that I've bragged about on a number of episodes of the show is failing me right now because I can't remember who, but I know that somewhat recently, somewhat recently, a guest on this show was making a reference to a punk sound. It might've been Peach Martine back on episode 427. Anyhow, Steve, I think there are people out there who would say to you and to her, isn't that genre of music dead? So what would you say to them? I would say, I thought so too. <laughs> That's what I would say. 
And then once I, because, and I had no clue of the scene, because like I said, I was coming from EDM. So once I started poking around the Facebook groups, I realized that number one, there was a scene. And uh, number two, it is alive, but I'll tell you one thing not a lot of people are going out to see them. There's a lot of bands and there's a lot of venues that want that kind of music, but the people aren't quite there yet, at least not to the gigs I've been to. I was actually pretty saddened to see as I went around and uh, to some of the clubs that I wanted to just like, do like a recon mission on to see what kind of band music they were playing and what they were like, the, the club was like, that not a lot of people were showing up. So I think, uh, I think the mu- there is an, an interest in the music from the musician's side. <laughs> Now just uh, just getting the people there is another thing. So um, I was surprised on one end and pleasantly surprised on one end and also a little saddened that uh, not more people were going to see it. Now, maybe I just wasn't seeing the right bands or at the right venues, but I don't think. And, and OK, and to, to just cap off everything I just said, I think there's going to be resur- a resurgence of this because I think music for uh, a lot of music lately is very, um, very cookie cutter. And I think people are are kind of dying for a little bit of a fresh human take on things. Mm. So, yeah, I think it's going to be coming. Interesting. But, you know, you started to go there. I want to continue this train of thought, which is you can write the music and you can find other members to form a band to perform the music. And you can have clubs that say we want that kind of music. But how, Steve, do you get people to start coming out? Because I'm thinking of a client of mine who recently asked me about buying Facebook ads for some of the shows that his band has coming up. And I said to him, help me understand why you want to pay to bring people into these venues that are having music on a regular basis. Is this a particularly special show to you for a certain reason? And he said, oh, okay, yeah, I I see what you mean. I guess I just thought it was the thing to do. And I said, well, you don't want to put money into Facebook ads unless you can tell that there was a conversion. People actually came to the show because of the Facebook ad. And the only way you're going to know that is by asking people specifically. So I'm curious in your case, when you say all these things are in line, except for people don't seem to be coming out, how do you get the people to come out now? Well, I ran one experiment. Um, We got this club owner to, she called us out of the blue and said, yes, I I saw your posts on Facebook. I, I would like you guys to play at the club. She's like, I have an opening on Saturday. I'm like, great. And then she's like, oh, yeah, by the way, like you have to get all the other bands to uh, to come and play with you, too. Like you're in charge of promoting the whole night, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have some marketing experience. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to display competence to this person yeah. so that they know they know that next time Steve can get people to their club. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, I took it on as a little project and I ran Facebook ads and I basically said, if you sign up now, give us your name and email address from the ad. You get in free. Otherwise, it's 10 bucks at the door. Ah, I like that. And it worked out really good. Number one, about 50 people came from the ad. We spent, I think we spent about 100 bucks. So um, got about 50 people to arrive, which I think is a pretty good conversion, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. Um, the bar owner was happy because they did zero uh, work on their end to promote. I mean, they might have posted about it a little bit, but they weren't running ads. And uh, so now she... I, when she called me back, she's like, oh, you you know, marketing, like blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it just like the way to get ahead, I think, is to just demonstrate competence and impress people. Mm-hmm. And I think that we did it with that. And I think it's a good idea for a band to do stuff like that, because 
those people didn't know who we were. And then once they came and sat down and listened to us, at least they heard us once play live. So maybe they'll remember us next time we do a gig and we won't have to run an ad to get them there. You yeah, know? and the other nice thing, too, is you met other bands that perform, I'm assuming, similar style music. And so uh, if you had, say, four or five bands in the lineup, well, now maybe another time you and one of those bands, I'm talking about Area 52, Area 52 and one of those bands goes on a show together. And then another time, Area 52 and another band does a show together. And so you're still drawing from their fan base. And there's nothing wrong with liking multiple bands that do the same style of music. So you really planted some good seeds there. Yeah. And you really touched on something I think that's hugely important. And that is to share share audiences with other bands. And that's Katie is really good at that. Like she's like the networker. I'll, maybe I'll do the Facebook ads, but once we're at the gig and we're there, she'll go talk to the other bands and say, we'd love to open for you. We'd love to do a gig with you. And because she's doing that, we're getting calls from the from bands we've played with in the mm. past saying, can you can you guys are you guys open on this night? So, wow, it, that is I'm glad you brought that up because that is huge and another marketing thing that's been working for us. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from Clearwater, Florida, by a multi-instrumentalist, Steve Cherubino from the band Area 52. Check out their website at area52.band. I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. They are also on Facebook. It is at Area52Punk on there, and they are on Instagram as well as at BandArea52. Keep up with them online for more about the EP that you heard Steve talking about and for details on where and when you can go see them perform live. Stick around to hear about Steve's music production training website and the companion YouTube channel for that. And if you want to dig into his podcasts, there are links to those on that website that he will be talking about shortly. Meanwhile, folks, how did you come through the holidays? I'm talking specifically to all of you in the audience who are gamers, musicians, podcasters, audio engineers, basically all of you who wear who wear headphones. And when I say, how did you come through the holidays? I mean, are you all tapped out financially because you overspent on Christmas gifts for other people as well as for yourself? And how did you come through the holidays in terms of your old headphones that you continue to so stubbornly wear, even though they're flaking, they're peeling, they're deteriorating? Here's what you can do. Instead of spending way too much money that you might not have right after the holidays anyway and getting brand new headphones, simply buy replacement ear pads from Dakoni Audio. That's what I have, and it gives new life to headphones you thought you'd have to give up on. I have a video for this on my at WatchNHT YouTube channel. Yes, it's WatchNHT, no E on the end. It's an unboxing video, but then I show you how easy it is to swap out what they send you for what's currently on your headphones. Here's how you can start your way to new life for your headphones in the new year. Either go watch that video on YouTube and then utilize the link I have in the description to go to Deconi's website or on my podcast website, nhte.net. Tap or click on their logo. It's in the right-hand column if you're viewing the site on desktop or scroll way down if you're on mobile. Actually, I guess there's a third way too, which is their logo near the bottom of my weekly e-newsletter. Let Deconi Audio solve your headphone issues by bringing you the comfort you've been missing out on. Steve, I mentioned in there about a website that you have launched to teach music production. 
Tell the audience what the website is called, what the URL is, as well as why you started it. Yeah, the website's called Doll Junkie, which is dawjunkie.com. And that's because DAW stands for Digital Audio Workstation. It's basic, well, you, your listeners probably know, but for anybody who doesn't, it's, the, it's basically the software you use to record and make music using your computer. And it's, it's how most music is recorded these days. And uh, I, I, for some reason, I have this strange love of that software <laughs> to the point where I am a legitimate junkie. I, I have all of them. And I like to use them all and play with them and create with them. And so I, I created this website to help people who aren't as crazy as me into the software who just want to make music, but they look at the software and it's very uh, confusing or too much for them or overwhelming. I wanted to make a site to teach people how to use it so that anybody can, who has a musical idea feels like they can actually create and put something in and make songs. Okay, but I'm... I want to get a, a clarification from you here because you keep saying that software. I think, and this is for you to set the record straight, I think that on DawJunkie.com, you're just talking about DAWs in general, whereas I think your YouTube channel is about one specific DAW. Do I have this right? Yeah, I mean, kind of. I That happened. You're correct, but that happened because... Um, the channel's so new that the only software I've been using so far in my videos is the one that you see. Um, I do plan to use other software, and I have it in a video here and there, but it's generally using just one particular software. It's called Studio One from a company called Personas because I personally think it's one of the best dolls that are out there. So um, both the YouTube channel and the website are going to be about the dolls in general, but right now... It's mainly about Studio One because that's what I've been using lately. Okay, I know there are quote-unquote competitors in this space. So what makes Daw Junkie different from other music production education websites? Ah, because I know how to teach people. You know, I, I, the biggest comment I get is, oh, I tried watching this video from this other guy way over my head. Oh, I tried watching this video from another guy. I couldn't follow what he was saying. Like I literally break it down like Mr. Rogers style and <laughs> <laughs> um, more so on the website. The YouTube channel it, is a little different. The YouTube channel is me sitting at Starbucks creating songs on my laptop. And you could just watch that more for entertainment and, and to learn a few things. But if you really want to get into the software and learn it step by step, that's what the website is for. That's what dolljunkie.com is for. And all of my courses, I, I pride myself on making things so easy that I feel like just about anyone can do it. Yeah, which is important because, and this is always an approach that I have employed when I go out as a speaker, I'm always about give me actual mouse clicks, like tell me the steps to take and give me step-by-step -step instructions. And it sounds like that's what you're doing as opposed to some of these other ones where you sit there and you watch and you say, my gosh, this person is so over my head. And number one, how did they even get to that screen in the first place? Because you're watching someone's video and you say, I don't even know how they got there. So I'm already behind. It's exactly right. That's, that is the winning combination. If anybody's thinking about starting a, a site or creating a product on, when you, where you teach somebody something, the simpler, the better. Because number one, people will be happy that they can follow it. Number two, if they already knew the information, 
and they follow along with you, they'll be proud of themselves that they were able to follow along with you, even though they already knew it. It, it just works out so well that if you keep things simple, even if somebody has experience, they would still enjoy the course, you know? Okay, but since I have taken the if it ain't broke, don't fix it approach, and I have just stuck with cakewalk all this time, I'm curious as to how and maybe why did you acquire the knowledge of using all the different music software titles when most people only learn one? Because I look at them and I, I almost treat them as separate instruments. Uh, when I create with Studio One, a song with the software Studio One, it sounds different than when I create a song with Cakewalk, mm. which sounds different than when I create one with Logic, which sounds different than when I create one with Cubase or any of the other titles. They sound different because it's a different workflow. So I found that just tremendously interesting, like where I say, I'm going to start Ableton right now, which is another one. I wonder how this song is going to sound. Where, or like it's, it's a matter of preference. You know, uh, somebody who has... Uh, 20 supercars in their driveway will drive the one that they're just feeling right now. They feel like, like I'll feel, I'd like the Ferrari today. I like the Lambo today. Mm. That's how I feel about my dolls. I go, I feel a little like Cubase today, or I feel a little bit like uh, Pro Tools today. <laughs> and it's just a preference of uh, just how you're feeling that day because they're all a little different. Okay, but keep, stay on this path because all I'm thinking of as an example, and, and this goes back to what I said, that if you're watching a video or if you're a speaker on stage, People need something that's really dumbed down where they go, oh, okay, now I get it. So when you're talking about, well, let me see how this song comes out if I do it on this one instead of this one, I'm just thinking of something like, oh, well, maybe the program drums are different on that one than it is on mine. Am I on the right track or is it so much more than that? Yeah, I mean, that's why I, in my courses right now, I try to get everybody using Studio One and then so they could follow along step by step with me and get the same sounds that I'm doing in the videos, they can have those same sounds. If they want to move over to another uh, piece of software after that, they'll know the basics. Uh. Because most of the software does the same thing. They all do the same thing. They just do it in a little different way with a little different interface and a little different style. But the concepts are the same. That's why it's easy if you learn one that you can learn others. Um, so, but that, and that's another reason why I'm sticking to studio one. I give them a free version of it so they could follow along with me. And then once they learn that they're free, like a bird to like fly over to any of the other pieces of software they want. Yeah. It's kind of like having a Gibson and you're really happy with that guitar. And all of a sudden somebody hands you one and you go, wait a minute, this isn't a Gibson. And they go, yeah, but it's still a guitar. Like go ahead and play it and see how it sounds. And maybe now someone's handing you an electric instead of an acoustic, and you go, well, I mean, it is still a guitar. I guess I can play it after all. And you go, wow, something different here for me. Exactly. That's a great analogy. But, you know, Steve, another thing that I really like about this is an audience. This is just the latest example, isn't it? You've heard me ad nauseum on this show for years, I would say, use the expression the new economy, where I say nobody is doing just one thing. And so... Here's a musician that spent the entire first half of this episode talking about his band and the shows that they've been playing and the EP that's coming out. And now he's talking about this other hat that he's wearing. And it's because you've heard so many guests on this show, Steve, I'm sure you'd agree, that attest to the fact that, look, nobody's just, even the people who look like they're doing music full time are not just doing music. They're doing something that's a spin off of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 
I, I think that this I, I was actually thinking about this the other day when I was driving the same exact thought. Um, it's a different type of flow, like playing out in front of an audience and being a performer is one thing. And then educating people as a second thing that you're doing kind of balances that out. It's like the professor in a university who teaches all of his, all of his students and then goes out that night and does what he was just teaching. It's a great balance of how to live. And it kind of fills in all, you know, all the, the spots in your life where I think you, you're if you're looking for happiness, it, at least for me, it's it's pretty ideal doing both of those things. And uh, I, yeah, I think it's better that way. Well, and folks, I mentioned that Steve was first on the show way back in the first year of Now I Hear This Entertainment on episode 31. Seven weeks before him, episode 24, I think it's still the most listened to episode ever was Johnny Garcia, the lead guitar player for Garth Brooks. And you've heard Johnny mentioned on other episodes by artists who have said, I'm working with Johnny Garcia because now he's doing producing work for other artists in addition to still playing for Garth. And we hear this the bass player for Three Doors Down, Justin Bilton, and he was on this show. And, of course, everyone wants to ask him all about Three Doors Down, but he wants to talk about his solo career. So everybody is wearing multiple hats, and Steve is just the latest one to do it. And the great thing about what Steve is doing is that he's creating music with software and teaching you how to do it, but it's helping him because it keeps his hand in you heard at the very beginning of the show, tell us about that song and how it came together. So he's still able to create music. But Steve, you know, I took a look at your Daw Junkie website and there's already a lot on there. So it makes me wonder what your plans are for Daw Junkie into the future. What more can and will you do with it? Uh, well, that's that's the thing about dolls is there's so much in them. There's so many features. There's so many tools. I don't think I'm going to run out of content to to teach people about wow. using these things. Wow. Yeah. And they keep coming up with updates and they're, it's great because it, there's competition between all the companies, these doll companies. So they're all coming out with new features, new devices, new hardware that goes along with it. And I think that there will be content uh, far into the future. I think more in the future than there even is right now, because a lot of people still aren't into recording with their computer. They don't know about it. They're afraid of it. It's too overwhelming. Once, um, we get into a like a spot where most people can pop open their laptops and create music while sitting at Starbucks like I do. The doll world is going to explode even more. Well, and two, a lot of them will have give us your feedback. And so users like you send their feedback in and all of a sudden they come out with, we now have this available and you go, okay, that's something else for me to add to my doll junkie website. A hundred percent. Yep. And I get feedback from the people that watch my stuff, too. And I feed off of that. And if somebody asks me a question or I get that question enough, then I make a video or a course about that thing. So mm -hmm. I absolutely follow what my students are asking, as well as, you know, what all the doll companies are coming out with based on their user mm. input. Here in the greater Tampa Bay area, Steve is affectionately known as the podfather the story goes that in August 2013, Steve, you put on a presentation at an e-marketing group event to a small gathering of people, and boom, that lit the fuse, and podcasting just took off from there, at least here in this part of Florida, if not beyond, with the kind of they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and they tell two friends thing. On the Daw Junkie website, there are links to three different podcasts. I know the EDM Producer Podcast is your flagship show what is the status of the EDM Producer Podcast, which I know on SoundCloud alone has a huge following? 
And then also, what are those other two shows on the Dog Junkie website? Are those yours also? One is the plug-in podcast and the other is the sound design show. Yeah, I'm, I mean, those, I, I was hot and heavy into those shows several years back when I was really doing like hot and heavy into EDM. I was interviewing electronic dance music producers and finding out how they use their doll, basically. Hmm. Um, we got over 100 episodes of that. It was going great. And then it fell off a, a bit. It fell off a bit because, I don't know, life takes you in all different directions. So with Doll Junkie now being booted up and running strong, it's allowing me to get back into those podcasts, do more episodes, interview more people. Um, the, the EDM producer podcast is still the biggest one. Those other two are great shows about number one, how to design sounds using your doll. That's the sound design podcast. And the plugin podcast is super fun where I interview people who develop software that creates really interesting sounds and effects that plug in to your doll. Third party stuff. Like I said, I use studio one from personas there's companies that make software that plugs into my studio one from personas who isn't personas like these third party companies. And so there's a huge market of sounds and effects and designs and all kinds of stuff out there to create music. And that's what the plugin podcast is. Both of those other two, they need to be kind of rebooted and brought up to speed. But I plan on having all them, you know, humming pretty good pretty soon. Yeah, and I'm nodding my head as you're talking about the plugins because I actually contacted Band Labs and said, okay, I use Cakewalk, and in the podcast world, we're hearing for quite some time now that you have to be able to control the LUFS, L-U-F-S. How do I adjust the LUFS in Cakewalk? And they wrote back and said, we don't have such a thing, but here's a plug-in. And they said, what company it's from? And they said, if you use this, that'll accomplish what you need. And they were kind enough, we're coming full circle now, to walk me step-by-step. Step. In Cakewalk, what you'll need to do, Bruce, is click here, then click here, and then you, boom, and off and running. And so there's a perfect example right there of a plugin that I'm using with Cakewalk that was not from Band Labs. Exactly. And there's a whole world of that. If you really get into it, you will get lost in it. It's endless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have heard criticisms that musicians get so turned on by plugins that they get carried away with spending all kinds of money on buying these plugins that they find are too complicated to use or they use it once or they never use it at all. And in fact, they should be putting their money into other facets of their music career. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. My thoughts on that are people are going to buy what they want, not what they need. I don't, I don't mind if I buy 700 plugins and I only use one because I wanted them and now I have them. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fun like that. It's, <laughs> You know, people collect things and musicians collect plugins. So uh, you have them now in your arsenal and 10 years down the road, you might use one, but you have them and I, you probably feel happy that you have them and you enjoyed, you got that dopamine rush when you bought it. You know, it's like, wasn't that, wasn't that enough? <laughs> Worth it? <laughs> well, it's interesting because somebody could say, well, it's a lot cheaper than buying a whole bunch of guitars, but I would argue, yeah, but the guitars you can put around your studio and people will see them. No one will ever see the plugins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be practical about it, you don't need that many plugins. <laughs> but I always say, like, uh, 
like my parents when they say like, you know, what what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I got everything I want. So it's 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 not what you need. It's what you want. Basically. <laughs> uh, we're going to close today with another song by Area 52, a track called The Big Shame. Before I let you go and I play that, tell the audience all about this song, if you would, please. Yeah, The Big Shame comes. It's a spinoff of the the Super Bowl, which is called you can't say the Super Bowl on the radio if you're. Uh, have a commercial or something like that. You can't say Super Bowl. It's trademarked. So you have to say the big game. This is kind of a spinoff of words off the big game because we wrote this near Super Bowl weekend and it's uh, we called it the big shame. And it, 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 it unfortunately is about, you know, the the pandemic and what happened um, the past several years in this country and how we, we weren't ter- we weren't terribly happy about that. And so we just uh, put a little song together about that. All right. Well, from the category of the only dumb question is the one not asked. As the person who runs Daw Junkie, is it safe to assume that rock shirts, short skirts, and the big shame, and all other Area 52 music for that matter, the EP then, is being recorded by Steve Cherubino instead of going to a studio? Yeah, because I'm a Daw Junkie, I just I, I feel obligated to do it. I, honestly, I'd rather not. I'd rather not. But... um. I am taking it on as a project, and I am going to be recording the EP, so it should be pretty fun. Mixing, mastering, everything, all yourself. I might get it mastered by somebody, and we talked about getting it mixed. Because here's the thing. I know you're wrapping up, but like I do so much with Doll Junkie. It's like I don't want to record Area 52 and mix it all myself. I do enough. Like I'd rather have somebody else do it. That's my personal preference, but for this one, I am going to be doing it. Yeah, folks, for that matter, I would send you back to as recently as last week, and we heard Oliver Sean talking about the value of being able to just be the artist. Even though he's a producer, even though he's an engineer, he said, there are times when I do like to get the expertise of someone else who that's all they do is they just mix or they just master the project for me. And I play all the instruments, I handle all the vocals, etc. So, Steve, I totally get where you're coming from because you are so immersed in Daw Junkie, I think you would feel like, well, I guess I have to now. And that, to me, doesn't sound like a real passionate statement. It sounds more like, well, it's something that I just have to do. Yeah, you're you're correct, Bruce. 100%. You nailed it. We were way overdue, Steve. So great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Congratulations on all the success that Area 52 is having so far. We'll be looking for the upcoming release of the EP. And congratulations on the launch of Daw Junkie also. Oh, thanks so much, man. I I haven't been on a podcast for a while, so this has been really fun. Thanks a lot awesome. for having me on. Awesome. You bet. You bet. And folks, with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to multi-instrumentalist Steve Cherubino from the band Area 52. Visit their official website at area52.band. Again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode on my podcast website, nhte.net. Remember to connect with them on social media. On Facebook, they are at Area52Punk. And then on Instagram, you will find them via at BandArea52, both of which I have followed, and I know they would appreciate you doing the same. As I mentioned earlier, keep up with them online for more about the EP that you heard Steve say that they will be releasing soon and for information on where and when you can go see them perform live. Be sure to also check out DawJunkie.com which I will also put a link to on the show page for this episode 
at nhte.net. Do please tell Steve that you heard him and Area 52's music on Now Hear This Entertainment. Folks, I do hope that you enjoyed the interview and that you like the show itself. If you want to extend a gesture to let me know as much, go to my podcast website, nhte.net, and look for the yellow logo that says, Buy Me a Coffee, and do exactly that. It honestly would mean a lot to me because it tells me that you like what I'm putting out each week. It does not matter where you're located. It's simply a way that we can have a hot beverage together virtually. You can even put a personal note on there for me to see. That's going to do it for episode 464. Thanks ever so much for listening. And again, all the best to you in this new year. I'll send you out today with another song from Area 52. This is the one that Steve just talked about. It's called The Big Shame. Make a dent in the economy, you say And what the hell is freedom anyway? I have to say for me once or twice won't be the same The only thing best is it takes two to play this game And I'm never ever gonna feel the shame Mask and wash your hands and then you'll be okay And sit back cause the vax is on the way I have to say fool me once or twice won't be the same The only thing you missed is it takes two to play this game And I'm never ever gonna feel the shame Yeah.